Jesus' life where he is making his way, you know, he ministers in Galilee, he ministers in Samaria and Perea, and then he makes his way towards Jerusalem at the end of his ministry because that is where he is heading as his final destination as he gets ready to offer himself as the sacrifice for the sins of all humanity throughout history. His death will cover every sin for all who will turn to him. And at this point, what a heavy burden he must have been carrying as he moved closer and closer to his destiny, understanding even, you know, the amount of suffering he was going to have to go through and the intensity of that suffering and what it would take for him to pay for all the sins that have ever been committed. So I want you to follow along here as I read Luke chapter 17 and verses 11 through 13. Luke 17, verses 11 through 13. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, I'm just guessing that these ten leprous men, that they had probably somehow heard that Jesus was coming into the area or they heard that Jesus was in the area. And these desperate men, shunned from society, set apart from their friends, you know, leprosy back then, today it, it, it can be mitigated, it can be treated but back then, in some countries, it's still a horrible disease because they don't have the, the means. But back then, you know, it was just a death sentence, and you couldn't get around anybody. They just had these communities for uh, leprous people. They couldn't be with friends. They couldn't be with family. They just had to live on their own with this highly contagious disease. There was no known cure. And so here are these men, and they seek out Jesus, because Jesus has gained this reputation as being this man who is from God, who's been able to work God's work through him to heal people. And he's healed many, many people. So, you know, they at some point, they see him. They call out to him, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And here they are, you know, fully embracing their pitifulness, right? I mean... They have no choice. They're embracing and even announcing their lowliness, their, their horribly diseased condition. And you know, none of us really want to admit to being pitiful or helpless. That's really the, the lowest of lows. And many of us, even if we feel pitiful, we won't admit it. I'm okay. But these men, you know, with this horrible, hopeless disease that they can't even hide, they've been brought to that level, that shame-filled honesty, raw authenticity level. And there they are yelling at Jesus from a distance. 
Now, we understand why they're at that distance. No one will allow them to come near. If they start coming near, people will make sure that they get run out. So they basically, on one hand, have no choice. They have to stay at a distance. But that makes it even all the more shameful and humiliating, doesn't it? To scream out at a loud voice, all those ten standing there, and you could see who they are. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They're screaming out their pitiful state. And you can imagine that as these ten diseased, deformed outcasts, and most of you know that leprosy, you know, it deforms your body, and sometimes the ends of your fingers get worn off because there's no feeling, and they they just look like a mess. And these outcasts from society shouting at Jesus from a distance. And of course, if there's anybody nearby, which probably there were, it just magnifies their shame, doesn't it? But you know, the fact is, they are in a pitiful state with this hideous disease. And now they're shouting at a distance, from a distance, to this one who has this reputation of being able to uh, have God work through him to heal people. So, of course, to them, it's worth screaming out, attracting all that attention to their wretched condition, all in hopes of possibly being freed from this disease of shame and death. And in that culture, maybe even more so than others, because in the Jewish culture, oftentimes, when somebody had a disease or, or something from birth, they were looked upon as, you know, their sin. Or maybe it was their parents' sin heard in the Bible. So, or shame aside, they cry out in that loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. But you know, when you think about it, isn't that the attitude that all of us should have? when we come to Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And isn't that the attitude that all of us should be able to relate to and identify with when we think of Jesus forgiving our sins and sacrificing his life to pay for our sins? You know, Jesus happened to go through such horrible treatment such extreme anguish and suffering because of our sins. And so shouldn't we all have that same attitude that these uh, lepers have? Because our spiritual condition before we receive forgiveness from Christ is really even more pitiful and more hideous than the worst case of leprosy. And before we turn to Jesus for forgiveness, our spiritual condition is more pitiful and shameful than the leper's physical condition. So these 10 men with this horribly destructive and deadly disease come to Jesus begging, screaming out of their helpless estate. Have pity on us. But you know, Jesus has troubles of his own, doesn't he? 
I mean, he's traveling down towards Jerusalem. He knows what awaits him there. As he's heading there, he's fully aware of that cup of suffering that he's going to have to endure. At one point, he asked some of his disciples who were asking for high seats in the kingdom, can you drink the cup which I'm going to drink? But look at his response. Even though Jesus is, is heading towards much suffering himself, look at his response to these uh, leprous men. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. But first of all, why did he tell them just to go show themselves to the priests? No priest had ever cured leprosy. But as some of you know, the priests were the ones in their community, in their religious, uh, you know, their religious community, the priests were the ones who had to declare someone cleansed from any disease that was contagious. And so the priest had to give the okay for them to rejoin society, rejoin their families. And so Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests, but they weren't healed. So these ten lepers, as they leave Jesus, they're still very, very leprous. There is no healing as they turn to go. And so they were walking by faith, weren't they? At least they turned by faith. But you think, well, what else could they do? Well, at least they didn't blow it off and say, he didn't even come over to us. He didn't touch us. He didn't even spit on his hand and rub it in our eyes or anything like that. But they go on in faith on their way, and they are healed. I mean, they're walking or whatever, they're running, whatever, and they're healed. Unbelievable. He didn't even touch them. He didn't even say to them, you are healed. He didn't say, you start walking and you will be healed. He just said, go show the priests. And they knew that the priests were the ones who would give them the permission to join society. And now their lives are completely changed because they're healed. And now they can return to their families. They can now work to support their families. They could be a part of their communities. They could get back together with extended families, cousins, brothers, sisters, uncles, whatever, neighbors. Their lives were restored by this man of God. This man sent by God to give hope to the outcasts. And now we're going to see the responses of these ten men who've been given their lives back. Verses 15 and 16. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. <clears throat> One of them was filled with gratitude. He was filled with gratitude toward Jesus and God the Father. He was the one who was thinking rightly. 
He was the one who, who circumspectly figured it out just the way it should have been. He responded in a way that someone in that kind of situation should respond. They had been set free from this most horrible condition. From a miserable lifestyle of hurt and shame and rejection and loneliness. Totally freed. Totally healed. Fully restored. And this one shows that he truly understood. And that he was truly thankful. Thankful to God, thankful to Jesus, praising God in a loud voice, throwing himself at Jesus' feet. Now, as I've read this in the past, I've tried to imagine these ten men beginning on their way to make their way to the priests after they are told by Jesus, go show yourself to the priest, and of course not healed at that moment. And like I said, they started out in faith. That's commendable. Then at some point, and I don't know where it is. I don't know how far they had to go, and I don't know at what point this was. But at some point, they realized they're healed. And how amazing that is. How wonderful it is. How exhilarating. How freeing. Like nothing they've ever experienced before. Almost no one has experienced before. And then, at some point, probably right then when they see that they're healed, one of them either turns back to go go back or probably says to them, hey, I've got to go back and thank him. But no one else went with him. And I've tried to imagine, as they're going to see the priests, and they see that they're healed, I've tried to think, okay, why, won't, why didn't they go back with him? And you know, I know that they were so excited to be cleared from the priests so that they get back with their families and they could rejoice in everything that they just, just experienced. So they certainly had a reason to get there fast, as fast as they could. And they may have, discussed, they may have thought to themselves, And they may have even discussed it. You know, when one person turns back and does the right thing and you're standing there and you have to make a choice, now you've got to wrestle with something. And I'm thinking the the other nine, they may have reasoned, you know, if we go back right now, we can't just walk up to Jesus, you know, the way we look. People might throw stones. We may get stoned. And the others, yeah, right, let's just keep going. They didn't need much encouragement to not go back. So as the, as the one returns, the others, for whatever reason, they decide, no, nah, we're not going to go back and give thanks. But here is what I believe is the crucial difference between the one and the nine. The one was truly and deeply thankful, filled with gratitude. And the one couldn't not go back. The one just couldn't keep going and not go back and give thanks. 
And how do we know that? The way he did when he got back, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Praising God in a loud voice, throwing himself at Jesus' feet, obviously very, very, very thankful. And the others, they weren't there, were they? They had the same opportunity, but they didn't take it. They were children of God. They were Jews. This was a Samaritan. Now let's see what Jesus said about this matter in verses 17 and 18. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? He's not even one of us. Jesus is basically saying that it was wrong for the others not to return. No one returned except this foreigner. How come this foreigner can return, but none of the Jews can return? The Jewish lepers did not return. Jesus was stating a strong rebuke to the Jewish lepers who did not return to thank God. So in Jesus' mind, there was no question as to whether they should have returned to give thanks to God. They should have had too much gratitude to not turn back. You know, if whoever was here last week, we saw the woman of sin come to Jesus as he was at a meal in a Pharisee's house, and she just came weeping and weeping, and her tears wet his feet. She was so thankful, so <clears throat> had so much gratitude for Jesus and his love and his salvation for sinners. And she was weeping and wetting his feet and drying them with her hair, and she poured perfume. She kissed his feet, poured perfume on his feet. And her thankfulness was just overwhelming. It was just flowing from her. I'm sure it was causing a scene, but she didn't care. She was just so thankful. She was, said a sinful woman, a woman who had lived in sin, and that usually meant a prostitute. And here she saw hope in Jesus Christ. And the Pharisee who invited him to his house said, instead of seeing that as something good, he said, he can't be a prophet. He wouldn't let that sinful woman touch him if he was a prophet. And here again, nine Jews don't return to give thanks. And the only one who returns is a Samaritan. So these stories are accounts that reveal the emptiness of the faith of God's people in the time of Jesus. The spiritual fervor and wisdom and sensitivity of the Jewish nation was completely lacking. And when God in the flesh came to them, they didn't recognize him. And we have outsiders responding to Jesus in faith and thankfulness 
while the Jewish people can't recognize their own prophesied Messiah who was in the scriptures, in their scriptures. And these stories really are stories of great rebuke against the unfaithfulness and extreme spiritual dullness of God's covenant people. God in the flesh, right in their midst, they don't recognize him, and they have no gratitude toward their king and their savior. So, verse 19 ends the same way that the account with the sinful woman ends. Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now that word for well is also the word used for, you know, someone being saved. Your faith has saved you. It, it really means wholeness, and it's used <clears throat> for spiritual wholeness, and it's used for physical wholeness. And we know that all ten of them were made physically whole, and this one who returned to give thanks is made spiritually whole, like the sinful woman of chapter 7. So again, we see the importance of thanksgiving in the life of a true child of God. You know, there are many different religions in our world, and there are many people who don't believe in God at all, and they have put their hopes in humanity to save ourselves, to save our planet, whatever. And they steer off into all kinds of funny beliefs because they feel like we have to save ourselves. But we have the absolute truth of eternal life. We have been told about the only Savior who became the sacrifice for our sins. We have the message of forgiveness from sin. Everyone else is trying to work their way to whatever, if it's heaven or I don't know what. But we have the message of forgiveness. That's the only way to God. And we worship the one who gave us his all. So who should be more thankful than us? We who have heard the message and have received salvation in Jesus Christ. We who have been forgiven and have been given the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us and encourage us and teach us. May we be like the sinful woman and the Samaritan leper. May we have an overflowing gratitude that just fills our lives. May we be the one who just couldn't not go back. May we be ones who can't contain our thankfulness. And may it never be said of us, where are the others? Weren't they healed also? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, wow, just such an amazing salvation. And the stories in your word that just, give us so much clarity.
And so, Father, we pray that your spirit would drive these deep into our hearts so we could just walk with you ever more seriously, ever more thankfully. And, Lord, that our gratitude would would be shown to others and others would turn to you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for all that you do for us. And we thank you for each other as we help one another on this journey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.